Now, the book of Acts chapter number 13, verses 1 through 5 tonight. I would like to read, actually we'll read down through verse number 7. Uh, again, notice with me if you would please. Now there were in the church, it was at Antioch, certain prophets and teachers as Barnabas and Simeon, which was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene and Manion, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. So they, being sent forth by the Holy Ghost, departed unto Seleucia, and from thence they sailed to Cyprus. And when they were at Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. And they had also John to their minister. And when they had gone through the Isle of Paphos, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew whose name was Bar-Jesus which was the deputy of the country, Sergius Paulus, a prudent man, who called for Barnabas and Saul and desired to hear the word of God. Our fathers, we bow before you tonight. We love you and thank you for this day that you've set before us. And Lord, I pray that you'll be with us tonight and give us great power and liberty to preach the word of God. Give us clarity of mind and speech, and I pray that the Holy Spirit of God would move and work in our midst. I thank you tonight for Pastor Allen, for this church, and I thank you for the faithfulness of Brother Ware and Sister Ware over the many years, and Brother Earwood, and for the friendship and the fellowship. I would ask you now that you'll do your work in our hearts and in this church. I'd ask, Lord, that you'll help us to understand in more depth the necessities and the impact of world missions. And God, may you help us to be an encouragement to your people. For we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Last night, we preached on the ministry of the Holy Ghost and missions and there, honestly, I could have preached the entire week of the meetings on the involvement of the Holy Ghost of God in world missions and evangelization. I say that because without the Holy Ghost of God, missions would not exist. Everything that is done of God in world missions and evangelization is because the Holy Ghost of God had involvement in it, had the, His hand upon the missionary, upon the message, and upon those that received the gospel message. And I thank God for, again, the faithfulness of God's people and God's servants. And I said last night, and I said again, and then I will get into my text. I really sincerely believe that we have in our generation missionaries of great character, integrity, and I believe that if the Lord does not call the church out, I don't know when the rapture would take place. We've got to be near the end for 2,000 years. We've been preaching that the end is nigh, and Paul even said, look up for your redemption draweth nigh in his generation. And here we are uh, about 1,800 or actually almost 2,000 years later, and we're still preaching of the soon return, the imminent return of the Lord Jesus Christ. But as we consider this matter, I believe if the Lord doesn't come in the near future that there'll be great biographies written on missionaries of our day and era and time. But it's because of the Holy Ghost, and the Holy Ghost, as we consider the matter, has His hand all over world missions and evangelization. But there's another aspect of missions that's mentioned in our text. In fact, it was mentioned on two separate occasions tonight, and I would like to put our emphasis there because it's a very vital part of world missions and evangelization. And while there would be no missions without the Holy Ghost, there would be no effect in world missions and evangelization without our subject in which we will preach on tonight. 
Notice with me, if you would, please, we will uh, notice in verse number five that when the missionaries arrived on the mission field, Paul and Barnabas, when they arrived at Salamis, they preached the word of God. Notice, if you would, please, the word of God is mentioned and referenced in this text. And then in verse number seven, the Bible says that they desired to hear the word of God in the closing of that verse. And so tonight, by the grace of God, I would like to take just a moment and preach on the ministry of the Bible in world missions and evangelization. Thank God for the Bible that you and I have tonight. Just like the Holy Ghost is mentioned on numerous occasions in the uh, book of Acts, the Bible or the Word of God is also referenced on numerous occasions. Let me just give you some references tonight and then I'll get into our message. In Acts 4.31, the Bible said they spake the Word of God with boldness. In Acts 6 2, the Bible said that we should not leave the Word of God. In Acts 6, 7, it said the Word of God increased. In Acts 8 and 14, Samaria received the Word of God. And in Acts 11 and 1, the Gentiles, the Bible says, received the Word of God. In Acts 12, 24, the Word of God grew and multiplied. In Acts 13 and 5, they preached the Word of God. In Acts 13 and 7, as we read tonight, they desired to hear the Word of God. In Acts 13 and verse number 46, the Word of God was necessary. In Acts 17 and 13, they wanted and desired knowledge of the Word of God. In Acts 18 and 11, they taught the Word of God. And in Acts 19 and verse number 20, the Bible said, Mighty grew the Word of God. And may I say to you tonight, there is a ministry of the Bible in world missions and evangelization. Without the Bible, the missionary is really without any tools. It's the greatest tool in the missionary's toolbox. It is the most effective tool. In fact, it is the Holy Ghost of God that takes the Word of God and engages the sinner, as we mentioned in reference last night as we close the message. Uh, the mission's message is found in Acts 13 and verse number 5. For the Bible said that when they were at Salamis, they preach the Word of God. And my friend, that's what a missionary is called to do. And I want to say this tonight, and I hope that you'll understand the spirit in which I am making this statement tonight, because I'm not against humanitarian effort and humanitarian aid. I understand working on foreign fields and uh, sometimes even on reservations and other areas across our country. Sometimes humanitarian efforts are and resources are a door opener. They are a catalyst and inroad to get into a certain group or a country or an area uh, to be able to preach the gospel of Christ. For example, in the country of Romania, many, many years ago, I suppose it's been over three decades ago, uh, we found out that the Romanian prisoners did not have socks and they did not have uh, blankets and things in their bitter cold winters. They didn't have effective heat. And it was extremely harsh on the prisoners. And so we got together and we uh, raised funds and we sent thousands, uh, if I remember correctly, 25,000 socks and blankets to the country of Romania to try to help. And through that, we didn't do it to get a, as a door opener. We're already in the prisons. But when we provided that humanitarian aid and those uh, particular items, it opened the country wide open to us. So I, I know that God uses humanitarian 
efforts and uh, medical missions and things of that nature. I'm not knocking any of that. I believe it has a part in world missions and evangelization. But I want to tell you tonight, the very foundation of a missionary's work is this Bible, the Word of God. If you give them food to fill their belly and clothes to warm their back and their flesh, my friend, and do not give them a Bible, all you've done is make a sinner comfortable on his way to hell. Because without the Bible, there will be no salvation. There must be the Word of God in world missions and evangelization. The Bible said that the scriptures was necessary, as we quoted earlier. In fact, the Bible stirred up the Jews in Acts 17 and verse number 13. For the Bible said, and, but when the Jews of Thessalonica had knowledge of the word of God, that was preached of Paul at Berea, they came thither also and stirred up the people. The Bible preached in its power and its authority will stir up the people. I remember one time preaching at the Washington State Penitentiary, and at one time it was rated the bloodiest prison in America. There were constantly, uh, every day almost, there was fights that were taking place, and on a regular basis people were being slaughtered and killed and murdered and butchered. There was a particular unit that was called the Valley of the Shadow of Death. There were two massive high-rise buildings where prisoners were uh, housed, and the men would come in and get their meager salary from their work in the prison and they'd have to walk between those buildings and the sun never shined there because of the position of them and it was casting a shadow and there were multiple prisoners who were stabbed to death and robbed during that section. They called it the valley of the shadow of death. And I remember I was preaching in the maximum security unit. One of our dear friends that's in heaven now, Brother Gene Blackburn, uh, was preaching in the medium unit. We split our teams up. And I went into the maximum security unit, and I was preaching one night. And uh, I was busting hide because of some things that were taking place in the prison that was not right. It was immoral. It was, uh, it was ungodly. And so I just laid into it that night. And when we got to the door and gave the service, it was tense that night. Prisoners were walking by. Some were shaking their hands and saying, uh, thank us for preaching the gospel. Another man walked by, and he stood there. He shook my hand. He said, oh, and he was gritting his teeth. He said, oh, to knock your head plumb off of your shoulders. He said, you shouldn't have preached to us like you did tonight. You say, what did you say? I didn't say any, not, anything. I'm like the guy that joined the Navy and they tried to get him on board a ship and he wouldn't get on board. And finally they told him, he said, Sailor, if you don't get on board this ship, we're going to court-martial you. He said, look, I might be from Georgia and I might be dumb, but I'm not dumb enough to get on a boat that sinks on purpose. They were trying to get him on submarine duty. And I wasn't about to back a prisoner that looked like he could probably bench press me with a blink of an eye. And I didn't say a word. I just looked at him and, and he pressed the issue. I said, fella, I preached to everybody, not just to you, and left it at that. And when we got out of the prison, uh, Brother Blackburn said, how'd it go over there? I said, man, we had revival, Brother Blackburn. I mean, it broke out tonight. And uh, he said, you got to be kidding me. He, I said, how was it over there? He said, well, it was kind of tight, but it was okay. I said, you want to swap for tomorrow night? He said, yeah, let's do that. I said, I'll be glad to let you have it. And so I went to the medium, sent him to the max. We got out. I said, how'd it go? He said, I ought to choke you. Yeah. 
If you weren't such a good friend, I'd string you up. He said, they were there with shanks ready to kill you tonight. They were going to get even with you. They hated the message you preached. I'm just simply saying tonight that when you rear back, preach the Bible in its power and in its authority, it'll always stir people up. And I got news for you tonight. It's not just the sinner it'll stir up. It'll stir up the Christian and the church folk and people get offended because of the Bible. And so we find the Jews were stirred up because of the preaching of the Bible. The Bible is necessary in world missions and evangelization. By the way, I've learned over the years that if you want revival to break out, you're going to have to preach on sin. I was invited to preach at a youth meeting. There was about 250 in the state of Colorado some years ago. And we showed up, and I don't want to get into it again. I know I've used that a lot tonight, uh, but I don't want to get into it. We showed up, Mrs. Ellis and I showed up in the parking lot, and young people were doing stuff. I wouldn't allow, uh, it ought not to happen at any Christian camp. ought not to happen at all. In fact, they were doing stuff that secular, unsaved people ought not to be doing. And uh, they were hanging all over each other. Dr. Garrison found, or the president at the time of the Rock of Ages was preaching a meeting about an hour, 45 minutes or an hour down the road. And I told Peggy, I said, I'm going to let them have it tonight. Maybe they'll get mad and kick me out and we just go spend a week with Brother Garrison in the tent meeting, hear him preach. And I read back that night and preached. I'll be honest with you. I don't know if I preached under the power of the Holy Spirit of God. I was stirred up in my flesh. And I preached on everything. They were hanging over each other, kissing each other. And uh, I'll not go into it. I mean, it was bad. And I read back that night and gave them Bible and laid into them. And during the invitation, uh, the altars were flooded. People were getting saved. Young teenagers was giving their life to the Lord. God moved in. God broke my heart. And uh, I began to weep. A man came up and said to me, an older preacher had been in the ministry 40 or 50 years. He said, that's pathetic. He said, you ought not to be preaching like that. He said, you're a man of God. Get hold of your emotions, man. He said, don't be weeping like that in the public in front of everybody. He said, be strong and uh, rebuke me for my tears. But I couldn't help it. God had broke my heart. And uh, that night after the service, the uh, man that invited me in, the director, the pastor, he came to me and he said, Brother Ellis, he said, you can't come back anymore. He said, I loved it tonight. He said, but uh, several pastors are here with their youth. He said, they got offended at the preaching of the gospel tonight. And he said, you let finish out the week, but he can't come back. And uh, one pastor's wife, and this is what stirred the devil up. One pastor's, uh, I said wife, daughter, came forward that night, got saved, stood up, gave her testimony, and said, a year ago, I sold my soul to the devil in a satanic worship service. And said, tonight I got gloriously saved by the gospel of Christ and I want to renounce all of my heathenism and my barbarianism and I got saved and gave my life to Jesus tonight. And that pastor got offended and stated that I had deceived his daughter and tricked her to believing that she was lost and had never been saved. And he got mad at me and the other preachers got mad. I'm just simply saying that the Bible will stir up the heart of the sinner and the saint. It is the authority behind world missions and evangelization as far as the missionary's ministry on the field. When I say the authority, the authority is a local church. But it's authority as far as his personal ministry and his preaching of the gospel of Christ. I gave out a survey during that meeting. And I asked pointed questions, no signatures or anything else. I just said, uh, would you feel this? I had to deal with uh, smoking, drugs, illicit relationships, 
and because uh, I wanted to know. I'd used it in other places, and uh, they confiscated them. The pastors came and looked at them, and they were so bad they wouldn't let me have them. I said, that's all right. God knows, and that's all that matters. And I'm just simply saying, and the preacher looked at me. He wept. He said, Brother Ellis, we've never had a meeting like this before, ever. And, but God moved in, and I don't remember how many was saved. God, God moved throughout that meeting. And I'm just simply saying that it started out, I was preaching against the sin, and then God broke my heart, and I could hardly preach the rest of that meeting because my heart was broken. I had to preach through my tears and broken heart over what God was doing. But I'm just simply saying, it wasn't my opinion. I didn't stand and get in the flesh in the sense that I raked them over the coals because of my opinions. I dealt with their sin according to the Bible. And the Bible stirred them up, and the Bible done the work that needed to be done. Now, I'm going to give you three things about the Bible tonight. And first, I want you to look at the authority of the Bible. And I'm going to go to several texts in the Scriptures in the book of Acts in order to cover all of this tonight. And notice, if you would please, the Bible is the missionary's authority, or the authority in the Bible itself. The Word of God is powerful. The Bible said, and I quote it, Acts 19 and 20, So mightily grew the Word of God and prevailed. Romans 1.16, the Bible said, for it is the power of God unto salvation. And then the Bible uh, gives us very uh, clear definition of the power and the authority behind the Scriptures, the Word of God. I'm glad we hold in our hand a Bible that has the authority of God Himself. Uh, he is the writer of the Bible. Uh, yes, James and John and uh, Moses and others wrote it. They were the penmen of the Scriptures. But these words, be not deceived, are the words of God Himself. And because of that, there is authority in this book, the Bible. And when the missionary preaches it on the mission field, God uses the Bible to convict and to uh, speak to the heart of the people of God and to the sinner that they would be converted to Christ. I'll tell you the power and the authority in the scriptures. I remember years ago, Dr. Ed Blue, the founder of the ministry, as a young missionary, gave this testimony. He said, in the beginning, a church over in Churchill, Tennessee, called and said, Brother Blue, the Lord's laid on my heart to donate to the Rock of Ages a printing press. We have one, we never use it, and so the Lord laid on our heart. And Brother Blue said, well, Brother, we don't even print. He said, well, God must want you to print because he laid it on my heart. And Brother Blue said, well, I guess if God laid it on your heart for us to get a printing press and give it to us, I guess it must be the will of God for us to print the gospel. And so Brother Blue sent a group over there, and at the end of the first year, he said, I believe at the end of the year we had more ink on the floor and the walls than we had on paper. And they had printed successfully 10,000 gospel tracts. Now that's nothing in one year. But they had printed 10,000 tracts. And Brother Blue gave the testimony, he said, glory to God, hallelujah. 10,000 gospel tracts, we're ready to reach the world now. And now we'll print millions on an annual basis distributed free of charge through our missionaries. And he gave the illustration of how powerful the gospel is. A prisoner had written in to him as the director of the Rock of Ages ministry addressed it to him and said to him, said, I just want you to know I've been on death row for so many years and said, you had a group of preachers in here preaching a revival. And they're out on the prison yard, and they were passing out gospel tracts and literature. And back in those days, we weren't allowed back into the death row and segregation units so much. And he said that they were not allowed back in the death row unit. 
But he said, God knew I needed what they were passing out that day. And he said, the wind was blowing out on the yard, and the officers uh, there were opening and closing the doors, letting uh, officers and prisoners in and out the door into the rotunda, the uh, center there where the counselors and stuff are. And prisoners would take the tracks and throw them on the ground sometimes. And he said, uh, the one track was thrown on the ground, and as the officers opened and closed the door, the gust of wind would blow it inside the prison, and then as they would open the doors and go back into the death row unit, the wind would push that little track a little further back into the death row. And he said, finally, an officer came into the death row unit right beside where I'm located, and when he opened the door, the track blew right underneath the edge of my door. And he said, I saw it and I reached under the door with my fingers and I fished that little gospel track in. And he said, I began to read through it. And he said, God broke my heart. He said, I realized my need for the Lord. And I just thought I'd write to you and let you know I got saved and gave my life to Jesus because of that gospel track. My friend, I'm saying to you tonight, there is power and authority in the written word of God. And God uses it in the missionary's life on the mission field. 2 Timothy chapter 3, 15 and 16, of course, of Timothy says, From the child thou hast known the holy scriptures which are able to make thee wise unto salvation. And then, of course, in John 6, uh, 63, the Bible said, The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. Now, I'm going to give you the scripture reference tonight and not take the time to go into it, but the Bible gives us four stern warnings about changing the Bible. Moses gave two warnings, one in Deuteronomy 4 and 2, and talked about a, that we are not to change or add to the Word of God. And Deuteronomy 12 and verse number 32, the same warning is repeated in that text. And then Solomon, the wisest man to ever live in Proverbs chapter number uh, 30 and verse number 5 and 6, every word of God is pure. It is a shield unto them that put their trust in him. Add thou not unto his words, lest he reprove thee, and thou be found a liar. And so we find Solomon, wisest man to ever live, gave a warning of change in the Bible. Why? Because it is the Word of God. It has the authority, the power, it has the unction of God behind it. And then, of course, we're all familiar with Revelation chapter number 22, 18 and 19, about changing the Bible and the judgment upon those that do. May I just say there are those that discount the Bible. There are some that say that the Bible, at least 3 to 5% is uninspired, not preserved. In other words, it's just man added and it's not preserved and written of God. Well, if 3 to 5% was uh, actually not inspired, but it is inspired, every jot, every tittle, every sentence, every quotation mark, every uh, jot and tittle of the Bible is inspired of God. But if that were true, that means that 7,025 words in the Bible or 33 pages of the Bible that we have today would not be of God. Now, the problem with that is this. Who's going to tell us which words are inspired of God, and which pages are inspired of God, and which ones aren't? It might have to do with the book of Romans and our salvation. It might have to do with John. For example, John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. So who's to tell us what verse is inspired and what verse is uninspired, if that's the case? But I got news for you tonight. Every word is inspired of God. In fact, the Bible said in Psalm 11 and verse number 3, if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? It's been about a year, maybe two years ago at the most, there was supposedly a great revival that broke out up in the state of Kentucky. 
And uh, supposedly it went on and all this was hoopla about it. And so I thought, well, I'm going to check it out. I want to see if the revival broke out. I want to see what's going on. And so I did some research and watched some of it, and it was not revival. You say, how do you know? Because they used a corrupt text. And you cannot have a corrupt text and correct doctrine. They're oxymorons. They, they don't match. They don't go together. If you have corrupt text, you can't have a correct doctrine. And then they had, it was based on contemporary music. And then thirdly, it was a conglomeration of compromise and ecumenicalism. And that's three reasons why it wasn't true revival. In fact, it washed out about as fast as it started. May I just say to you that in the Bible, the Scripture says, Thus saith the Lord, 413 times. The Bible refers and says the Word of God 235 times. The Bible says the Word of God 48 times. The Bible eight times says the Spirit saith. And then we find that the Bible is inspired. Now bear with me a little bit tonight. Hebrews 4.12, for the Word of God is quick and sharp and powerful than a two-edged sword. The word quick means that it is alive. And the word quick, being alive, it's saying that the Bible is alive. It's the Word of God. This is a living, breathing book. When I was a young preacher, I heard someone say, uh, put your ear down to it and you can hear the heartbeat. Um, cut it and you'll see it bleed. Now what they meant by that is it is a living book. Can I say to you, and I did a study, I preached, in fact, I think I preached three times a message entitled, The Breath of God. I studied the breath of God and found out that every time in the Bible you find the breath of God used, whatever he breathed on came to life. In the Old Testament, in the book of Genesis, God took his hands and he formed man from the dust of the ground, but it was no more than mortal man. He had no life, he had no spirit, he had no soul. He was no more than a clump of clay. But God did something unique. <sighs> he breathed into man's nostrils and man became a living soul. And so we find that God breathed upon him and man came to life. In the Valley of Dry Bones in the book of Ezekiel, it was nothing but a Valley of Dry Bones. And the Bible said that a wind blew, and later he talks about the breath of God blowing through the valley, and we find that sinew came upon sinew, flesh upon flesh, bone upon bone, and God raised up an army out of a bunch of skeletons and remains in the valley of dry bones. You know what happened? God breathed across that valley, and they come to life. The church gathered in the upper room on the day of Pentecost, and he had just started his church. I believe that Christ personally established his church. Uh, they had singing. They took up offerings, uh, all the things that we do in a church, and we find that they were gathered on the day of Pentecost. They had been given the command in Acts 1-8, but you shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me both, and that means simultaneous, in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. And so we find that they were tearing in the upper room and the wind of God came, a rushing mighty wind. And if you research it in its etymology, it literally means a breath came from heaven. And so God breathed upon his New Testament church and God empowered the church and gave them the authority to fulfill the Great Commission. Why? Because God breathed upon them. Do you know why this Bible is alive? Because the Bible said that this Bible has come, it came by inspiration. And the word inspiration means God breathed. You know why this Bible is alive? 
because every word came from the mouth of God as he gave it to his holy prophets and preachers as they wrote the scriptures. Therefore, every single word in this Bible, it came forth by the breath of God. And this Bible is alive tonight because it is infused with the breath of God. I used to believe that a lost man preaching the Bible or a lost soul winner sharing the scripture that they could not have any converts. And that quote is right because we have no converts. They're all of Christ. Dale Moody was walking down the sidewalk one day and a drunk man comes staggering by and said, Hey, Mr. Moody, said, you're the one that led me to the Lord. And he looked at me and said, You're the one that saved me, Mr. Moody. He said, I must have saved you. It doesn't look like God did. When a man's converted to Christ, in Ephesians, the Bible said, You who were dead in your trespasses and sin. And he talks about being quickened by the Spirit. You know what happens to the sinner when he's, uh, when he's converted to Christ? Christ breathes life into him. The Holy Ghost takes up residence, and that dead sinner comes to life. The breath of Almighty God has breathed upon this Bible, and it is the greatest tool in the missionary's toolbox, the authority behind the Bible, the Word of God. I've shared this testimony a few times lately, and I'll move on. In Zambia, there was a man with a Bible society, and they were distributing Bibles. And they came across a Zambian, and he offered him a New Testament, and he said, sir, I don't want your Bible. He said, if I take that Bible, I'll tell you what I'll do with it. I'll smoke it. I'll use the pages of that Bible, roll it up, and I'll smoke it. And prisoners sometimes do that with a high-quality Bible because the paper's so thin if they can't get smoking paper. And the man said to him, he said, Sir, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll give you a Bible anyway, and you're free to smoke it if you'll promise me one thing. If you'll promise me you'll read every page before you smoke it, I'll give you a New Testament. He said, I can do that. And so he gave him a New Testament and went on his way. It's about 12 or 15 years later. I don't remember the exact time tonight. But this man, this missionary, was in a conference, and a man stood to preach. He said, I want to give a brief testimony I've been asked to give tonight before I preach. He said, I'm from Zambia. I'm a Zambian. He said, and my conversion came one day when a missionary offered me a Bible. And I told him, sir, I don't want your Bible, because if I take it, I'll smoke it. And he said to me, I'll give you one anyway, and you're welcome to smoke it if you just promise me one thing. Before you smoke any page of that Bible, will you promise me you read it? He said, I gave him my word, and so I kept my word. He said, so I took that New Testament, and I read and smoked the whole book of Matthew. He said, I read and smoked the whole book of Mark. He said, I read and smoked through the whole book of Luke. He said, and I came to the book of John. I read and smoked John chapter 1. I read and smoked John chapter 2. And they got to John 3, uh, John 3, and he said, I came to verse number 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believed in him should not perish. He said, I couldn't smoke it anymore. He said, I got on my knees right then and there and was converted to Christ. I'm saying to you tonight, this Bible is the missionary's tool. It is inspired. It is preserved. It is inerrant. It is the very word of God infused with the breath of God. And it is alive. Go out and preach it, preacher. I'll promise you it'll get the job done and it'll not return void. It's the missionary's greatest tool in his box. 
The King James Bible is alive. It's the Word of God. It's the living book. Its authority is imminent in the Scripture. I'll not give you the historical things of the Scriptures tonight, but let me, if I may, just mention that not only is the Bible have authority, but the Bible is applicable to all cultures. As a missionary takes the Bible, it doesn't matter if it's here or in the south or the northeast or the southwest or the northwest or the midwest or wherever it might be. The Bible is the same. The authority in the Bible, it is applicable to all generations. I've preached in various countries. God has, and I say this not to brag tonight, God forbid. I'm the least of the least of those that have traveled across the nations of the world. There are missionaries been in far more countries than I've been. But as I've traveled, God's allowed us to be in five of the six habitable continents. And I've found that it doesn't matter what continent you're on, what people you're preaching to, you're all the same. Wrecked and ruined by sin. Born in sin, birthed in sin, born a sinner, born indeed of the gospel of Christ. And the gospel is the same to all people of all generations. You see, we cannot take the Bible and compromise it. I remember in the state of Wyoming, I preached quite a bit for a missionary friend of ours. His name is Joe Copley. And uh, he started a church on the Rapho Reservation. He's a great brother, him and Miss Leela been friends for quite some time. And I remember him having us, and I preached a few tent meetings and stuff for him. He said, Brother Ellis, it's a sad state of affairs. He said, for example, the Catholic Church down the road, he said they have a statue of Mary, and they've tried to integrate the culture of the Catholicism in with the culture of the Indians and the Native Americans. He said they have a statue of Mary, the Virgin Mary, and the statue is of an Indian squaw, and said she has a papoose, and in the, pap- in the little papoose there is the baby Jesus. And so they had tried to integrate Catholicism and their religion in with the religion of the Indians or the Native Americans. And sometimes in the various fields we've been to, we've seen it happen over and over again where certain sects of people and religious groups try to integrate religion in with the culture of the people. But my friend, may I say to you tonight, there's one thing I like about my Bible, and that is that the Bible overrides all human culture, regardless of whether it is in America, across the sea, or on any other land, or foreign soil. The Bible's culture supersedes human culture. And it's the same everywhere you go. The Bible. The Word of God. The B-I-B-L-E, yes, that's the book for me. I stand upon the Word of God, the B-I-B-L-E. While missionaries may adapt or conform to some cultures, and I understand Hudson Taylor and others had adapted their dress and so forth to the standards of the people, um, I understand that sometimes you, you adapt certain cultures. A missionary who goes to a foreign field in the foreign cultures and tries to make them Americans usually fails quickly. Even in the Midwest, it's a whole different world. You go to the West Coast and it's not even the same as what we have here in the South. 
And I understand adapting to certain cultures. But my friend, this Bible is not to be adapted to a culture. The Bible stands alone, preeminently, in all preeminence. The Bible, it's the Word of God. The Bible is applicable in all cultures. The Bible says in Romans 10, 13, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord. And when he said whosoever, that meant red, yellow, black, and white. That meant whether you're Asian or China, uh, whether you are uh, someone from Haiti or whether you're from Africa or Europe or across North America, whatever land or country come for that, whosoever, and I believe in a whosoever will salvation. Someone said, I was in a meeting many years ago, I mean many years ago, probably over three and a half decades ago in the state of Montana. And the preacher asked me, he said, now, Brother Ellis, are you Calvinist? I said, no, I'm not a Calvinist, not even close. He said, well, how many points are you? I said, brother, I'm zero points. I'm not a Calvinist. I'm not even single. Somebody says, don't get me on Calvinism tonight. I believe in a whosoever will salvation. If you're here tonight without Christ or you're listening later on the live stream or, or whatever the church has here in the social media, I'm here to say tonight that if you don't know Jesus Christ, regardless of who you are, where you came from, where you're at in your sin and life, if the Holy Ghost of God is dealing with you, you can be saved tonight because of the Bible. It crosses all boundaries and culture. The Bible is applicable. The Bible said the grass withereth and the flower fadeth away, but the word of God shall stand forever. Psalm 119, verse 89, Forever, Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Then I want to give you the third and closing thing tonight. The Bible is an abundant resource to the missionary. The Bible is rich. You get down discouraged, all you got to do is pick up your Bible. Read a few chapters and pray, and God has a tendency to lift the burden. The Bible is an abundant resource of encouragement. David encouraged himself in the Lord. Preachers get discouraged along the way, so do missionaries. Elijah said these words, it is enough. Jonah said these words. He, let me just summarize it. He didn't like God's assignment. Peter said, I go a fishing. The other disciples will go also with thee. There's times that things don't go the way we think they ought to go. That's true in our life. That's true in our family. That's true on the mission field. It's true in a church. It's true in life. But we can lean upon the Bible for a source of encouragement. I've had times that Family has turned their back on me. I've had times when friends have turned their back. There have been times when I felt like the Apostle Paul when he said, no man stood with me, but the Lord stood with me and strengthened me. It is a source of encouragement. Let me move on. It is a source of promise. The Bible uh, says in the Scriptures that Paul stood and preached in Acts um, or 2 Chronicles chapter 15 and verse number 7, the Bible said, Be ye strong therefore, and let not your hearts, uh, hands be weak, for your work shall be rewarded. Now that's a promise I can cling to. 
when it all goes wrong and just don't seem to be going the way it should, when the missionary's not getting his support as fast as he should, when the ministry's not growing and flourishing, and when things are not going the way you hoped that they would go, be strong in the Lord because your work shall be rewarded. And that's a promise we can cling to. You know what I've determined over the years? There's too many quitting. And I'm going through the same thing they're going. Somebody's got to finish. And by the grace of God, I want to finish. The Bible tells us in this passage of Scripture, in verse number 8, And when Asa heard these words and the prophecy of, the old, uh, of Obed the prophet, watch this, he took courage and put away the abominable idols out of the land of Judah and Benjamin and out of the cities which he had taken uh, from, the Ephra, uh, from Ephraim, Mount Ephraim, and renewed the altar of the Lord that was before the porch of the Lord. You know what that tells us? That he was discouraged. He had taken a back seat in his ministry and had adopted the attitude, what's the use? There's no reason to go on. But when he heard from God and clung to the promises, he put away the altars of the idols and he rebuilt the altar of God. That tells me the altar hadn't been used. There was idolatry in the people, but wait a minute. There was no man of God either because he was discouraged. We can cling to the promises of God. Let me, if I may, ask Mrs. Ellis to come to the platform tonight so I can close. The Bible is an abundant resource for the missionary, but for the child of God as well. I'll tell you how precious the Bible is. I was in the country of Uganda. It's been several years ago. We'd gone into a particular prison. We called ahead and asked for the population of the institution. They gave it to us, and we because there were a little van that we had that was packed and there were several of us, we loaded just enough material to give everybody in the prison what was needed and the officers. <clears throat> I remember <clears throat> this particular prison, um, we were giving away the Bibles and I had happened to have the last few Bibles. If I remember correctly, I believe it was five prisoners and four Bibles or four prisoners, three Bibles, but I was standing there and I was handing them out. And all of a sudden it dawned on me, I'm one Bible short. And I don't know if that means anything to you, but for me it was a great challenge. Because to me, my question was, who will I leave without a copy of the Word of God? I don't want to make that choice. And I turned my back to those men standing in line to get a Bible, and I said, God, I don't know who to leave without a Scripture. Somehow you're going to have to intervene and work this out. I don't want to have to choose who I leave without the Word of God. When I turned around, one of the prisoners launched forward at me, not to attack me, but to grab a Bible. When he did, he knocked all the Bibles out of my hand. They fell on the ground. All of the remaining prisoners began to literally fight and scrap on the ground to get a Bible. One finally got hold of it and clutched it uh, close to his bosom and took off running, uh, praising God and thanking him that he had a copy of the Bible, the Word of God. A second one got a Bible and took off running. And finally, there was two prisoners left and one Bible on the ground. They kept jerking it from each other. It's a miracle they didn't tear the Bible to shreds. 
Finally, one man grabbed the Bible and he took off across the prison yard and the other prisoner was hot on his heel trying to tackle him to get a copy of the Bible, the Word of God. We had to leave. God had took care of my dilemma by that man lunging forward and knocking them out of my hands. When we got back to the vehicle after we left the prison, I asked Brother Demers, who was the missionary he was working with in the country, I said, Brother Demers, is there any possibility there could be another New Testament in the van? He said, no, Brother Ellis, we packed just exactly what they told us we needed. He said, but there might have been one that fell out of a box and slid under a seat or something somewhere. We can look. We began to look, and sure enough, there was a Bible that had slid out of a box and slid up under the corner of one of the seats, and we found it and took it back in and gave it to that prisoner. I've been preaching 45 years, and I've never seen anyone in America that hungry for the Bible. Never. In fact, out of my years of ministry, and today even, we live in a country where it is not unusual, nor is it uncommon, that God's people will go days on end and never pick up a copy of the Bible. How about you? How about you tonight? When I got saved, I remember very vividly taking my Bible and and I'd read it, I'd read John 3.16 and couldn't even understand the, some of the simplest scriptures. And I'd weep, I'd lay it on the side of my bed and I'd weep and soak my Bible. I've got it in my study now. It's, it, it has fallen apart. And I can turn to certain pages. Brother Earwood, there's water stains where I soaked my Bible with my tears, begging Almighty God to help me to understand the scriptures. I remember taking this Bible and putting it to my bosom and laying there looking up into heaven saying, God, I beg you, I beg you, help me to understand the Bible. How long has it been since you just thank God for your Bible? It's the greatest tool in the missionary's arsenal. The Bible. But I got news for you tonight. It's your greatest asset as well. Do you love it tonight? Do you heed it? You know what I think? I think it'd do us good tonight if we just brought our Bible to the altar and said, Lord, thank you for my Bible.